Here is a topic we've been postponing for quite a while, and it is summarized by one simple question. If we as Christians believe that Jesus will come back to earth to judge all people and rule this planet in person, what about any space travelers or planetary colonies? In other words, if our Lord returns to earth, what happens to people who are not on the earth? Today we will explore these possible prophetic conundrums and speculate on some solutions here on Fantastical Truth. Welcome back to Fantastical Truth, the podcast from lorehaven.com in which we explore fantastical stories for God's glory and apply their meanings to the real world Jesus calls us to serve. I'm E. Stever Burnett, the publisher of Lorehaven and speaker and author of The Pop Culture Parent. And I'm Zachary Russell, and my other car is an O'Neill cylinder that's in orbit around Earth right now, and this is episode 121, Well, Humans Colonize the Cosmos Before Jesus Returns. Zach has been reminding me that this is a topic of some significance between us. Uh, as he tells it, an older article I wrote in 2017 was actually a means for our meeting in real life. Yep. Uh, Stephen, I think you wrote this in like February of 2017. And uh, early March is when SpaceX had a significant milestone. I think that's when their, their first reusable rocket uh, landed, or two of them landed at the same time. And it was this huge spectacle, and I, that's when they put the car in orbit. And I thought, wow, where is this headed? And all this time, I thought, I will never see people go very far in space because NASA seemed to have just kind of settled for low Earth orbit. But here's this uh, brash billionaire going for Mars and maybe actually going to make it. And so I thought, and I literally just typed into Google, Are, will, will we go to Mars before Jesus comes back? And I thought, surely someone has thought about this, this theological conundrum. And yes, I found your article. And, uh, and then I think the next month I reached out and said, hey, why don't we go get some coffee and, and talk more about fantastical stories that deal with sci-fi from a Christian perspective, because I was really hungry for those kind of perspectives. And here we are doing a podcast together, 120 some odd episodes later. Our episodes often include a concession stand, and today's concession stand is going to have some space-age snacks before we get to the topic proper. Ah, freeze-dried. Yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, some of that uh, compressed food, uh, whatever's going on for the early space-age. Now, hopefully, if we ever actually get to colonies, we'll have a little bit fuller selection from the space menu. Our menu today includes uh, a tighter focus on Christ's return, uh, but we're not going to talk about the events that could precede this. Uh, this won't be an episode all about uh, Antichrist or plagues or meteors or Nephilim or any of that sort of thing. Save another podcast for that sort of discussion. That means that at least for today, we're going to stay agnostic on the whole uh, rapture question. Instead, we're talking about Christ's physical return to earth, uh, which I've often uh, heard referred to as the glorious appearing uh, for those who think that the rapture event is uh, separate somehow from Christ's uh, physical touchdown to the planet. Uh, all Christians share in this blessed hope is uh, that word. Uh, those words actually come from the scripture, the blessed hope of in Christ's return. And so we're going to focus on that. Uh, we do believe that Jesus will return physically to earth before Christ rules on earth. He's going to be the king forever. Uh, not just for a possible literal 1,000-year period, uh, but also going on into eternity. Uh, of course, Zach, a big assumption I make about all this based on Scripture is that Earth is forever. There's going to be a fire purge, uh, kind of a refining of the planet's surface, the elements laid bare. It's going to be a transformation of the whole physical cosmos. But after that transformation by something like judgment fire, it's still going to be physical. And so Earth is going to last forever. The planets, I believe, are going to last forever in some form. Outer space will last forever in some form. Uh, at the same time, uh, we do assume that Christ is already reigning in heaven. as uh, It has been said somewhere that he must reign until he puts everything under his feet. Christians disagree on what exactly that entails. There's some Christians who believe, oh, well, well we're already in something like a millennial uh, period. Again, we're not going to talk about all of that, but we do believe that Christ is on his throne today. He's just not physically on his throne on earth reigning in person by the way uh, if you want to talk about aliens out there in the cosmos uh, we are actually not going to explore that this time for that you can see i think uh, two episodes ago 119 this time we're focusing just on the people planetary colonies however speculative uh, space explorers who still maintain 
human emphasis. Uh, no aliens in this uh, speculation. And finally, we will refer to scripture verses and try to cite them about uh, how exactly we understand the return of Christ, starting with 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. In the ESV, this reads, quote, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. End quote. That's the Apostle Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit, uh, laying on some comfort uh, for a early church that desperately needed it, who were a little confused about what had happened to people who had already been killed in the persecution against Christians. And even if we don't know people who have been killed, uh, that should certainly comfort us, Zach. And I also notice here, this text is very earth-centric, uh, which gives rise to the uh, conundrum, as you mentioned it earlier. So first of all, just the context of this verse, I think, is important. Paul is addressing people that were very worried about their fellow believers who had already died one way or another, fully expecting Jesus to have returned already. And so they are very troubled by this, like, hey, I thought Jesus was supposed to have come back by now. And of course, ever since then, we've always thought that, like, hey, shouldn't he have showed up by now? And so now we're, we're asking a very important question. It's like, we're not so much focused on the people that have died. We're focused on all the events that have already happened. Like, you know, we've had really horrible wars and there's all these crazy things happening in the world. Like, isn't it about time for Jesus to come back? And then specifically with this episode, hey, people are already leaving the earth. Is there going to be anyone left when Jesus comes back? <laughs> what about some people that might not be here? Is that going to be a possible thing? Like, did we miss it? You know, and has it already happened and we just didn't see it somehow? Well, if you're a preterist, uh, you believe that in some way Christ did return uh, thereabouts in AD 70. Uh, we've had a few feedbacks uh, from preterist listeners of the show. Uh, I haven't looked into that too closely myself, but uh, I, whatever your view of Christ's return, however spiritually back in the first century, uh, I think we can still definitively say that Christ will return physically. Every eye will see him, says uh, that verse in Revelation I'm going to quote in, in just a moment. I don't read that uh, super spiritually. I believe that in order to encourage the believers, all of that imagery there in 1 Thessalonians 4 uh, is literal. It is about resurrection. It's about the trumpet of God, the dead rising, and we who are left will be caught up in the clouds. Why not literal clouds? Why not literal resurrection? You know, you are, people are coming up out of their graves. Uh, if the Apostle Paul wanted to comfort the Thessalonian believers and say, well, they're going to be raised spiritually, uh, then he would have done that. Uh, but in this case, he's talking about a physical resurrection, uh, which leads, as I mentioned, to the conundrum. However, it doesn't bother me personally. It's just a fascinating question to ask, just as I asked it about five years ago in my article originally called Will Christians Colonize the Cosmos? Actually, uh, I, Jack, I think the title there undersold the question uh, that we're asking in our revised title here. Will humans colonize the cosmos before Jesus returns? Because the way that I see it, because all of the prophecies about Christ's return are so earth centric. Where does that leave someone who's, for example, in a Martian colony or even simply in orbit in a space station above Earth? We have no Martian colonies, but we have had people in orbit in space stations above Earth. If Christ returns, they're not going to be down there to be caught up in the clouds. If you have a Christian astronaut, for example, uh, what if you have a moon colony? You know, what, what if uh, Musk or any of the SpaceX or any of the private uh, space explorers plus NASA managed to get back to the moon? You know, maybe China's going to get there first. How does that work? Now, anyway, I'm jumping ahead. This is actually the text from my original article, which phrases it this way near the front of it. I said, if people colonize the moon, Mars, or other planets, what happens when Jesus returns? A little later, I say, whatever your end times view, all Christians believe Jesus will physically return to earth. The problem is these biblical texts are entirely earth focused. For example, John writes, quote, behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. 
even so, amen, end quote. That's Revelation 1, 7. And I go on to say, this concept already causes some difficulties when you consider time zones. The final Left Behind novel, Glorious Appearing, tried to solve this by hinting that some believers on the other side of the world, opposite Israel naturally, somehow saw a vision of Jesus returning over there. But it causes even more difficulties to hypothetical residents of spheres that are not Earth. That's what I said then, and to this day, Zach, I really don't have an answer for that. Uh, That gets into some of the stuff we said we're not going to talk about. Like, for example, let's say that everybody on Earth has been killed by all the plagues or by the persecution of the Antichrist. Uh, They have all failed to get his mark, his evil 666-ish mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they've all been executed, and everybody else is storming into the Valley of Megiddo in order to participate in an apocalypse. Okay, so now you've got everybody kind of packed into one time zone, everybody who survived anyway. And then if the heavens open and Christ returns and he steps down on the Mount of Olives or wherever it is, then okay, you can read that very, very literally. But then what about the astronauts or what about somebody who's uh, stuck over there in a uh, fallout shelter in San Francisco? How does that work? Well, and and you said so well, Stephen, what about all the different time zones? Assuming people will still be spread around the earth when he returns, which just seems extremely likely he is returning to a single physical location. Like you said, he's coming back to Jerusalem. So already there's the space time issue of people in other countries and especially other continents, people, you know, scientists down in Antarctica and and people will be asleep when he returns, but we don't really think about that. And we just trust that he's got this covered elsewhere. Jesus said, I believe in Matthew 24, that Right before he returns, uh, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and the nations of the earth will mourn. So two things right there. I mean, I, I assume it's going to be a giant cross. Well, that's in, what the in, Left in Behind the series did. So it's got to right. be correct. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think that's everyone. It's not going to be the little fish sticker, the little Ictus fish uh, <laughs> from the back of the cars. That could be that, though. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's universally known. Even people that don't believe in Jesus understand the cross signifies the Christian faith. And so when they see a giant, what other symbol could cause non-believers to mourn and realize they made the wrong decision right before Jesus comes back that other than seeing a giant cross? It's I, the I ultimate it Jesus joke. Yes. <laughs> it's Jesus <laughs> legitimately reminding everyone, everyone, this was all about yeah. me all along. If you were following after a literal beast and a literal false prophet, you done been had. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm going to kind of maybe take a little shortcut here with, with two things, two possibilities. The every eye will see him. One possibility is that is a prophecy about our global social media culture where, where we can see events in real time from anywhere in the world all at once. And so maybe it's, it's a prophecy about that. Or it could just be a somewhat of a figurative statement like every eye will see him. Well, okay. Does that mean every, literally every eyeball, or is that just like everyone in the world will be able to see it either supernaturally or through technology? Well, things can get pretty confusing in the real world, especially when you're talking about prophecy and various Christian beliefs about that. Let's go to a fantasy world for our first sponsor that may actually be a little less confusing, Wonderland, (laughs) as originally created by Lewis Carroll, but now remixed for an upcoming book called The Wonderland Trials by Sarah Ella. That actually released last week on July the 12th, and this segment is sponsored by its publisher, Enclave Publishing. It's on sale now, and here is the back cover. Solve the clues, face your fears, survive the trials. All Alice Liddell wants is to escape her normal life in Oxford and find the parents who abandoned her 10 years ago. But she gets more than she bargained for when her older sister Charlotte is arrested for having the infamous Wonder Gene, the key to unlocking the curious Wonderland reality. Soon, Alice receives a rather cryptic invitation to play for Team Heart in this year's annual, and often deadly, Wonderland Trials. Now she has less than 24 hours to find her way into Wonderland where nothing is impossible, or what it seems. The stakes are raised when she discovers players go missing during the trials each year. Will she and her team solve the clues and find the missing players, or will betrayal and distrust win, leaving Alice alone in a world of her own? Follow the white rabbit into this topsy-turvy fantasy where players become prey, a sip of the wrong tea might as well be poison, and the queen's ways do not always lead one where they ought to go. This is book one of the Curious Realities series from author Sarah Ella. 
It's also available in audiobook from Oasis Audio, and you can find all of those links in our show notes for both the print copy and the audiobook version. By the way, unrelated to this sponsorship, uh, Lorehaven got a hold of an advanced copy, and we did a review of the Wonderland Trials a few weeks ago. Our headline for that review is, although indebted to a classic, the Wonderland Trials is inventive and colorful in its own right, abundantly able to charm and to intrigue. You can get all those links, including to the review, in our show notes for this episode, 121, or go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. Okay, so let's talk about chapter one. Our first option here of three is that humans never colonize space. End of story. Wah, wah. Boo. Okay, so specifically that humans. <laughs> no, okay. Now, to spoil the ending, at least the way that I've outlined this show, I believe humans will colonize space. Otherwise, I don't know what it's for. Um, okay. We'll get to that in a moment. So we're, we're talking about in the current humans colonize space yeah. before Christ returns. Return. Yes. Yeah. How far do we get? And I've specifically said colonize there, not venture uh-huh. into, because obviously we've left the footprints and a flag on the moon. Yes, it was right. real. Uh, and then maybe even if we go to <laughs> Mars, then, you know, that may be a round trip of uh, a few years or so. Going up to space stations. Yeah, I'm talking about colonies. Like somebody goes to the moon or Mars or space station to live. But yeah, we can't do that. Maybe if Jesus needs to return first. Yeah, I would call this the pessimist pragmatist option, I guess, is that. Yeah, I don't like it. You know, um, (laughs) but I I mean, I think we have to look honestly at it. You know, there's this saying space is hard when India tried to launch a lunar lander and it almost made it and then it blew up or something or it crashed. I, I follow a lot of astronomy Twitter people, and they said, no, it, it's not space is hard. Space is heartbreaking. The U.S. has had plenty of failed missions, and obviously we've, we've lost people on missions. Uh, uh, Apollo 1, for example, Apollo, well, Apollo 13 made it, but they didn't make it to the moon. And then uh, the Challenger and um, uh, the Columbia. So we, we've, you know, we've lost equipment. We've lost people. Space is very hard. So even just getting to the moon much less Mars or other star systems, it it's extremely challenging, ex- extremely expensive. And, you know, we're, we're basically, as we record this, in a recession, although unofficially, uh, and we're the world leader for space travel. So if, if we don't do it, is anyone else realistically going to be able to do it? I, I don't know. It's never really on the top of any politician's, like, campaign speech. And so... So Randy Ingermanson actually wrote an article for Spec Faith back in 2011, and he made this really good point about space travel. And I'll quote here. He says, the crazy thing is that the main problem in going to Mars is not the money. NASA's current budget is less than $20 billion, roughly what the U.S. government spends every 48 hours. Now, disclaimer, that that was like 10, 11 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. probably more now. He says, if NASA committed itself to its Mars program, we could probably put humans on Mars in 10 to 15 years without spending anything extra. We'd have to travel light, which is not the usual NASA way, but we could do it. The main problem in going to Mars is that nobody is willing or able to commit 10 or 15 years of focused effort to going there. Going to Mars is not a decision NASA is allowed to make. That's a political decision, and politicians are generally looking to the next election, end quote. Yeah, he's right. And at the time, what was it you said for that Articles Act 2011? We really do need to link to that one in the show notes and possibly republish it sometime. It sounds like a really great piece to revisit. I wonder if you'd be willing to do that. Uh, We have had Randy on the podcast before uh, talking about Mars and all of that because he and John B. Olson had written a duology of novels called Oxygen and the Fifth Man following an older uh, mission architecture for a mission to Mars. Uh, I think it was actually put together by an author named Robert Zubrin uh, I'm not sure that that's uh, up to date anymore, but uh, it's still kind of that uh, lean, mean, um, non-Elon uh, Musk acknowledging architecture uh, just founded on the idea of, of NASA. But could you redo that now? Yeah, maybe. I'm not sure. But yeah, the point is, yeah, it's it's not expensive, really. Uh, it's just a matter of willpower and the cultural conditions that led to the moon missions in the 60s just don't exist anymore. You're not trying to beat the Russians, at least not in terms of who can get out to outer space first. Uh, We apparently now consider that we can just beat them, uh, them Russians on social media, which isn't nearly as satisfying, by the way, and you don't get nearly as many uh, uh, benefits from that. But I think it's not a money issue, ultimately, or a cultural issue uh, that keeps people from going to space now and that may prevent actual space colonies in the future. 
Zach, I think it's just a principle. I'm not sure what you would call it. Maybe actual nerds would have a name for it, but it's related to what I've heard called the anthropic principle is that earth is just right. You know, just like a baby bear's porridge and bed and all that stuff. Earth has been put together by someone to be the perfect place to shield humanity from cosmic radiation and all these other perils in space. It is at just the right point between freezing cold and burning hot uh, in its orbit uh, distance from the sun. There are so many other constants in physics and everywhere else that just make this, uh, despite some glitches, obviously, you know, bad weather or freezing or hot temperature extremes on Earth. This is the perfect place for us on Earth. And of course, the Christian looks at that and goes, well, that is a secondary or tertiary evidence for God. Uh, he wants to take care of people, even people who reject him. So he puts us on a planet uh, that is not going to get smacked by an asteroid or collide with anything else or just wander off into space somewhere. Earth is the perfect home for people. And uh, jumping metaphors here, I can't help but wonder if this is like a video game or God has built this amazing open world for everybody to traverse and get into side quests and follow their main quest that hopefully will lead to Christ himself as the center of their worship. But if they stray too far outside the edges of that world, uh, there may be natural barriers like radiation or gravity uh, atrophying uh, your bones that you have to take medications or just work out really hard and be a professional astronaut to keep that from happening. There may be, if you try to go further than that, even if you're pushing the limits of the game, the game designers didn't want you to go off the edge of that mountain. You may have a little sign that comes up and says you are going beyond the allowed play area. <laughs> if you continue, you will respawn at your <laughs> last save point. I wonder, I can't help but wonder, despite being a sci-fi fan, if that's what's happening with maybe some of these cultural and financial and other limitations that keep us from getting too far with all those glorious space colonies that they promised us in those lavish illustrated books in the 1950s and the Walt Disney television specials. Uh, I can't help but wonder if that's maybe a little hint from the game designer. Uh, that mm. we're not supposed to go much further than the open world he's already limited us to. Well, and this is to say nothing of interstellar travel. You know, the the title of this episode is Will We Colonize the Cosmos, Not Just the Solar System? And uh, PBS Spacetime, a great YouTube channel I follow, just did a video uh, this week as we record this, and we can link to that. And they go through all of the, you know, very speculative but remotely possible technologies that it would take to send humans to another planet. And I mean, it's just insane, like what it would require. I, I just don't know that there's, again, the, the willpower, the, the resource allocation that we would want to put towards that. I mean, and you know, it would take just one grain of dust to explode an entire spaceship because you're going at, you, you would have to go at a, like a quarter of the speed of light to get there within a reasonable time frame, And then at that speed, just one speck of dust that hits your spaceship and it's like Hiroshima in, in outer space. And so there are major problems to solve for, for interstellar travel, but in even just sending like little satellites to other planets. Yeah. I mean, this one's kind of a downer, but it, it seems extremely challenging now. Of course, maybe we, we find some cheat codes like wormholes or warp travel or, or force fields or whatever. Those are nowhere really on the horizon realistically right now, but you know, a lot of the math has been done, so to speak, and there are possible ways these could happen. I just don't know how probable any of that is. Uh, I mean, I'm super optimistic as always, but right now it, uh, I mean, this looks like probably the most realistic option. Sorry, listener. We're just going to, but this is why we did this one first. Because yeah, we're we trying to get, to get this all one out of the negativity way. out of the way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and diverge a little bit on the positive side. Well, well, okay. No, let me step back. I'm not ready to be uh, done being negative just yet. Uh, <laughs> some of the older science fiction books, I don't mean like, you know, super classic ones, but just sci fi books, for example, published within the last uh, 20 or 30 years that, for example, uh, aim to show missions to Mars uh, that are less lean. Uh, and a little bit more expensive. Uh, it's always interesting to me, like, for example, um, I think it's just a book called Mars by Ben Vova. And then there was a Red Mars, Blue Mars, Green Mars by, um, I forget the author's name. Robinson. Kim Stanley Robinson. That's the one, yeah. Uh, I think I've commented on those before where you have to really suspend disbelief, at least as a classic humanist and, and an amateur sociologist in reading these books. 
because the authors just assume that the cultural conditions are there to motivate a Mars mission. And as it is, you would have to have some drastic changes in a nation's or the whole planet's culture in order to drive something like that. I don't mean a mission to Mars. It's hard enough to get that done. I mean, you'd have to have massive social changes and possibly even natural changes in order to make people desperate enough or daring enough or religious enough to leave Earth, which is the devil planet we know. And I mean, may have some issues here, but at least we know those issues and then go off to Mars where there are so many unknowns. What is the profit motive there, either financially, uh, economically or religiously? Sci-fi writers, I think, uh, are actually on more firm ground when they come up with you know more mystic uh, explanations or alien races like for example uh, star trek makes sense to me because you know that if you're leaving earth first off you have this you know glorious humanist cause the federation we're going to get together with other uh, alien species who like us have discovered warp travel uh, and we basically share uh, values in order to join together with this uh, grand experiment called the federation but the other uh, the story reason there that makes it work is, hey, you know that you're not just going out into just the unknown. Uh, you know, first off, there's other people, aliens doing that with you, uh, even if other ones are fighting against you. But you know that there's more planets out there already. That's a given. Uh, you have a place that you can go to where civilization is already set up. Uh, you know that that's part of your home base, even if you're striking out into the unknown. So to me, Star Trek makes a little more sense than even the hard science fiction where everybody's just going out just because, you know, and they're building these giant domes on Mars where the author has put together all the math and, you know, drawn it up and makes it seem really realistic until you wonder, wait a minute, uh, who's paying for all this? <laughs> like exactly what is uh, the, the profit motive there, if not the religious motive for these big colonies that we're always yeah. imagining? Now, obviously, the theological stuff works out very neatly with this option. Everyone's already on Earth or in low Earth orbit, and so not a problem to see Jesus come back. And in fact, if you're in orbit, uh, you you would see it very clearly. You'd uh, see that sign from the, the other clouds. side. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So all, all that gets taken care of. Um, I mean, it is still a little bit weird that there could be humans in orbit when the plagues happen and when you know other events of revelation happen. I think there's you know, there's still some things you have to kind of think about there and work through, but when major disasters have already happened, such as, um, I believe it was when 9-11 happened, they brought all the astronauts back from the International Space Station, or that might have been when, yeah, I think that's when that happened. Um, and I, I think when, uh, the, the, was it the Columbia that that uh, disintegrated that they in 2003? 2003, yes. Yeah, then I, I think they also brought back the other astronauts uh, on the Soyuz capsule. So, Maybe everyone would be brought back from low Earth orbit when the tribulation begins. And then that, again, just kind of solves the problem of everyone's on Earth when Jesus returns. Well, we said we weren't going to talk about that stuff, but now we are. But since you brought it up, <laughs> I actually have an in-universe explanation for that. Assuming that the Revelation prophecies are largely literal, seal judgment number six would easily take care of anybody in orbit. Because oh, you've right. got stars falling from heaven and a planet-wide <laughs> cataclysmic earthquake. Uh, that's going to wreak havoc on the gravity, probably orbit, anything like that. Uh, but just meteors alone uh, would uh, would kind of reenact that scene uh, from the movie Gravity, uh, oh, where poor yeah. Sandra Bullock out there and spinning out <laughs> in space and George Clooney gets lost out uh, even further beyond orbit. So, yeah, kind of scary. I think everybody would kind of want to evacuate back to Earth and... You know, if you're willing to go into some end time scenarios, you know, partly uh, informed by some evangelical novels from the 90s to the early 2000s, then you could do a lot with that. Uh, I remember, I think, the Antichrist and the Left Behind series like there was a there was a space administration, but nobody was trying to get off planet, which is the first thing you'd want to do if the four horsemen of the apocalypse are showing up and then demon locusts and horsemen and then vast temperature extremes and all this weirdness going on. You'd think the Elon Musk of the Great Tribulation would be suddenly finding Mars even more hospitable than he already does. That's the one thing to drive you off the planet because uh, now it's getting pretty bad. But my guess is that the plagues would uh, take care of that impulse pretty quickly. Well, and there's a question right there and maybe a story for someone to write. Would the demon locusts follow you into space? Oh, that's a good one. Well, <laughs> it's actually a creature. <laughs> a star fell from heaven, right? If you go into Revelation 9, yeah. like bad yeah. things come from outer space in a lot of stories, <laughs> but uh, Revelation got there first. Whether or not that's literal, whether it's meant to be taken literally, 
I don't know. Either way, it is a freaky tale and it is the most alien like that you actually see in the Bible. All the all the aliens, if you want to find them, I don't think they're the Nephilim. Uh, they're showing up there in uh, Revelation nine. But in that case, I think you can say pretty definitively, OK, these aliens are demons. So, Zach, uh, after our next sponsor, are we ready to move beyond this rather bummer option that's uh, kind of a uh, heel hauls and grounds uh, any further space exploration? Uh, even poor Elon Musk, who needs something to do now that he's claiming not to buy Twitter no more. We're, I, I can't wait to talk about the optimistic option. I, I lean much more towards that because because uh, Elon Musk, uh, I, you know, I really like the guy and I, I believe in Elon. Well, let's hope that he manages to get back on his feet after the uh, the Twitter incident. But So in a moment, we'll go to chapter two, the more optimistic option, but also confusing. But before that, let's check in with our second sponsor for this episode once again. And I think for the final time, this is the Realm Makers 2022 conference. Uh, If I've timed this right, I'm actually on the road as this episode releases on the road to said conference. I'm going in person, but you can go virtually if you want to, because this is a hybrid event. And if you're excited to take the next step in maybe making your own Christian-made speculative fiction that you may want to pitch to an agent or an editor or get some help with that, you don't have to take a trip to space. You don't have to deal with these confusing theological conundrums. You don't have to travel through time or switching to fantasy. You don't have to forge your own sword. Instead, you can join us for the 10th Annual Realm Makers Conference for this year, 2022. It's going to be in person in Atlantic City, New Jersey, and also live online. So if you can't travel in person, you can still see the teaching in real time because every class is live streamed for virtual attendees. Either way, you'll also have the chance to connect with other Christian creators on the Realm Sphere. That is a dedicated conference space. This year, too, Realm Makers is an amazing value because every attendee this time will get access to replays of every class available through the Realm Sphere. No matter how you attend, real in person or virtually, if you have a manuscript you want to pitch, you can pitch it at Realm Makers. And gather with other Christian creators. I've been there multiple times, all but two events, uh, exempting, of course, the 2020 virtual conference, which was still great. I look forward to going in person. You can see more information in our show notes for this episode 121 or visit the top of our podcast sponsors page, lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. All right, let's go to chapter two, our second option at the other end of the pessimist optimist spectrum. And this is humans colonize space, but Jesus still ensures that every eye will see his return. And I am actually leaning this way now. I, I'm, I joke about it, I believe in Elon, but actually, Stephen, I believe in this option for a theological reason that I've, I've been thinking about a lot lately, and it's because of Mark 13, 27. Now, I've sort of joked about this verse before, but let me just go ahead and read it, and we'll, we'll see where we can go from there. I actually think I know where you're going with this. Mm -hmm. Ah, Yep. Yep. yep, You are. That's a really good point. Okay. It says, and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Oh, wow. So we've got a uh, universe or solar system wide rapture here. Yeah. Possibly simultaneous with Christ's return. So we're post trib. Is that what we are? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I'm something not preterist, right? But um, let, so look at these. Look at these three situations where he's gathering his elect from: the four winds, the ends of the earth, the ends of the heavens. Yes. Okay. Yes. These. I. I don't think. I mean, could this just be repeating the same thing different ways, perhaps? But maybe these are meaning three different spheres of human civilization. Uh, obviously, the ends of the earth. Every continent, every country, every island from the four winds. I, I don't exactly know what, what that means in this context, but the ends of the heavens. I mean, either that means people in airplanes or, or hot air balloons, or it means people in outer space. And I really like, I'm just really leaning that way now. And yes, maybe this is my, my space nerd bias showing, but I, I believe this so strongly that I think we really need to develop a theology of Martians, as I call it. And I, I wrote an article about this. We can link in the show. And it's just on my personal blog that I, I think we really need to start thinking ahead to what if people are born on Mars and not, not just like people go there, but generations of people are raised up. Are we going to go there with the church and with, with the gospel? Are we going to send missionaries there? You know, we, we need to start thinking about this because it's looking very likely that will happen just from a human standpoint, but also 
from a theological standpoint, I, I think that this gives us some cover that yes, there will be people in space, in low earth orbit, the moon, the Mars, maybe other star systems. And Jesus is going to supernaturally bring them all back. Uh, maybe in the same way that Peter was uh, witnessing to the Ethiopian and then suddenly he was taken away. Uh, you know, when Elijah was taken up in a, a chariot of fire, uh, when um, Enoch was suddenly taken away. Jesus has the ability to do this. Like we've already seen that in the Bible. So perhaps you're going along with this verse in 1 Thessalonians 4 that uh, says that we who are left will be caught up together with them in the cloud. So already there's some supernatural movement happening here. Like yes. he's going and to that's levitate kind of people off the earth. language. Yeah. yeah. You can, you can think back to the classic tracts in the, uh, the, you know, the Jesus people seventies yeah. where you have, people flying up in their bell bottoms <laughs> to, to meet Christ in the air. I actually kind of unironically appreciate those illustrations. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's as Christian, much Christian fantasy as you got back then from all I could tell. Uh, real quick, Zach, just to note the verse that you have referred to Mark 13, 27 uh, follows a few verses and obviously Christ talking in the whole chapter here about the end times and what's going to happen. And, this is where he's saying, well, you know, if you if you see the false Christ in the desert, don't believe him. And alas, for women who are pregnant and nursing infants, those in Judea flee to the mountains and all that. And then he says in verse 24, but in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. So cosmic imagery there. And I think some of our preterist brothers will say, well, well, that's more about the switch from the old covenant to the new covenant. And I know I'm reducing what y'all believe. I'm, I'm trying to honor that as best I can, uh, just as an aside here. But if this is literal, then, then it helps us out, as Zach has said, uh, if people are out on the space colonies when Jesus returns to Earth, because this event, Christ's return at the very end, is affecting not just the planet, but it says the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers mm. in the heavens will be shaken. Uh, there's a prophecy in one of the minor prophets uh, where uh, Christ or, or God is saying, you know, once we're in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth. Like there will be this upheaval, uh, mm. not only spiritual, but physical. And if it were just an earthbound event, then why then talk about what's going on with the stars falling and the powers in the heavens shaking? And then verse 26 says, and then they will see the son of man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then we go to the verse that Zach's already quoted. So there's that reference again. Everybody's going to see the son of man in the clouds. It's fully consistent. Uh, with what we read later on in Revelation. Now, I, I looked up this verse in like every English translation on Bible Gateway, and I really like the NASB 1995, which I don't know how that's exactly different from the normal NAS. But it, uh, regardless, it says, and then he will send forth the angels and will gather together his elect from the four winds from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. Oh, so okay. okay. Yeah, I really like that. And so I, I think what this means is that it's really irrelevant how many humans are in space or how far away from Earth they are. Not, nothing is too hard for God. Nothing is impossible for him. Like I said, we've already seen him cause supernatural movement before. So I think it's no problem for him to just snatch people away from Alpha Centauri even and bring them back to you know, modern day Israel to see Jesus return from in the clouds. Now it does bring up an interesting question though. This says he will gather his elect. Yeah. So what about humans that are not? Yeah. Yes. Now, because I, I don't think I've seen any Christian, even those most skeptical of the rapture concept who believe that unbelievers in any way uh, get snatched uh, at the uh, coming of Jesus Christ physically to earth. I don't think anyone believes that. So, okay, so the angels are going to gather the elect. So we have only Christian space colonists, but all the pagans remained on earth because the Antichrist wouldn't let them go. I don't know. I'm just speculating out <laughs> loud. That is the whole purpose of this. But I mean, just getting back to your broader point, Zach, I mean, yes, if there are space colonists on Mars in one way, like, okay, is that now a block on Christ's return? Because everybody needs to be on earth and in their places before he can show up in the clouds and do all this uh, supernatural, amazing stuff. Yeah, not necessarily. Uh, you could draw on this verse and say, well, Christ is going to gather his elect from the ends of earth to the ends of heaven and other people who would not necessarily want to be gathered up by Christ. Uh, obviously, there may be some solution for them as well. Yeah. 
I, I want to dive into a couple of different options for what these space colonies could possibly look like. Again, these are pre-Christ return colonies. So you mentioned one possibility already, that this could be a new frontier of freedom, similar to the pilgrims sailing on the Mayflower and founding Plymouth Rock, you know, getting away from religious persecution. So maybe these will all be Christian colonies. And Rand in um, Atlas Shrugged has the more secular version of this, Galt's Gulch, you know, the sort of the idyllic town that's away from all the government interference. So we, we've kind of seen this idea before in fiction and in real life. So maybe something like that could happen. But I tend to think that any space colony would be a mix of believers and unbelievers. At absolute and, best, yeah. or, or, or most likely yeah. dominated by some kind of secular philosophy, the same right. kind of philosophy that drives people to take those kinds of risks anyway. And so I, I think what we would see is something more like in the Expanse. It's the Dwarf Planet series, but it's like a space station they built into the rock. And it's very much a mixture of good and bad. It's kind of all the interesting and, and horrible things that happen in big cities, you know, kind of happen there. And yeah, so if, if that's the space colony, then there's unbelievers that are left behind. But somehow, again, every eye will see him. So Again, I don't think this is a challenge for for Jesus to show his return to them, either supernaturally or technologically. They just wouldn't be here. And and that's the interesting thing. I mean, it literally says every eye. It doesn't say every body will be present when he returns. It just says every eye will see. That's right. That's right. Yeah, maybe on the uh, you know interstellar uh, social media, everyone gets to see a, a video, like a cell phone video of Jesus returning. And then they're going to debate if that's fake news or something. But I, I think the Christians being snatched away would, would probably, uh, you know, <laughs> probably help them believe a little bit. Uh, now there's two other possibilities for space colonies. One is that we could have space colonies that are some elitist utopia. So this would be like the movie Elysium, uh, while the rest of the earth descends into dystopia. So it, again, these could be people trying to escape the Antichrist or just other horrible things on earth, but it's very restricted to rich and powerful people. Or it could be the inverse of that, that space colonies become prisons, penal colonies like uh, in the classic novel, The Moon is a Harsh Mistress, where the entire moon (laughs) is basically a prison. And so all of these possibilities are within the realm of human achievement. It's just a matter of Again, it's it's back to the whole willpower thing, but I I don't think any of these possibilities are beyond current technology. Now, the interstellar ones again, m- much harder to realistically picture that in the next few years. Now, in a hundred years, who knows? Over a hundred years ago, we didn't have airplanes, so a hundred years from now, maybe we'll have warp drive. Who knows? Yeah, I I would say that even if people are forming space colonies, I don't see that happening. I mean, it's it's such a stretch to imagine going anywhere outside of our solar system anytime within not the next century or few centuries, but anytime within the next few millennia. There have to be some drastic, near magical breakthrough in not only propulsion, but also cultural factors uh, that would motivate that kind of technology and that kind of crazy human that would want to try that kind of thing, you know. Uh, you'd have to have the Zephram Cochran, you know, first contact scenario uh, in the Star Trek timeline, uh, which I think is actually coming up here uh, in the 2060s, if I remember my Star Trek timeline right. I don't know if they revised that yet or not, but, you know, first contact day, it's not too far away. I think you and I are going to see it, and then we'll have to find out what we're going to do with our Christianity at that point, because obviously the humanists were right all along. Yeah. Uh, I need to go back, though, and fix something that I said earlier. I mentioned that I don't think that anybody believes in some kind of... Uh, rapture type event that it would involve non-christians you know we said we're not going to get into the rapture and all that but we keep referencing the left behind (laughs) series mainly just because first it's a reference point that we know and that a lot of our listeners would know and it's also you know an original 12 volume fiction series that tried to answer a lot of these questions by setting uh, the lyrics of revelation and daniel and other prophecies in the scripture to the music of fiction you know, in a very accessible way for readers, mostly evangelicals, but they had a lot of crossover success as well. I mentioned that, okay, there's no, there's no like, you know, gathering event, you know, like being snatched away in order to go to earth. I don't think uh, Christians believe that. And this text refers specifically to gathering the elect, but actually in the final left behind book uh, volume 12, that is, there is in glorious appearing Uh, there's that issue they have to work out when you're setting the lyrics of theology to the music of fiction. Okay. How do we deal with the folks on the other side of the world? How do they see him? 
the Left Behind series answers that kind of vaguely. You 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 just do. Uh, you, you see you see a vision, especially if you're a Christian. Every eye does see him because the Scripture promises it. That's what you need to get. But then, how do you get from your fallout shelter in San Francisco mm. to the other side of the world for the promised judgment? I mean, everybody mm. needs to watch the beast and the false prophet and the uh, unclean spirits being thrown into the lake of fire. Uh, how do you get from there to here? Uh, they actually do kind of reenact a rapture type type event. You just close your eyes and wake up and boom, you're there. Everybody's there. Uh, everybody who survived uh, is somehow gathered in. And I would see that, I guess I'd see that as a left behind series attempting to uh, fulfill this prophecy or show it being fulfilled. So it's got to happen then not just to the elect, but also to the non-elect. Yeah. And that's where I think it, it's the, the distance is irrelevant. So it whether is. the distance is the other side of the world, the other side of the galaxy, I, I think for God, it's it's not a problem. So if, if he can gather his elect, he can gather the non-elect and then to face judgment or, you know, there's some even debate what happens there after he returns or all the unbelievers just taken out of the picture or did they, do they still live their lives and then um, populate the eventual resistance army that. Yeah. The, uh, the, the get, literal gets, millennial kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. That that gets tricked by Satan to rebel against Jesus. Yeah. You know, so there, that stuff gets so weird. I, I, I actually bought the entirely, <laughs> it is really, I, I bought the entire left behind series portrayal of the tribulation, the seven years, and then you get into the millennial kingdom and that's where it just gets so weird. Cause you got like various resurrected people living together and yeah. And, and then at least in their version of it, you know, nobody's going to space. They're basically sitting on earth uh, listening to Bible stories. So yeah, I, I kind of, I'm one of those weird guys that kind of wants to hold on to a literal seven year tribulation and maybe even a pre-tribulation yeah. rapture. But then suddenly when it's convenient, I want to be a millennialist. So <laughs> I, I don't know what I am yet. <laughs> Listener, you can probably tell me email podcast at lorehaven.com. <laughs> Zach, if you're ready to go to chapter three, then let's check in with our final sponsor for this episode, expertly set up by the discussion material, because once again, it is P.S. Patton's novel science fiction novel with planets and apocalypses and everything. It's called The Withering, and it releases in just a matter of days, actually, July 26th. And here's the back cover description for that. Their world has reached its end. The fight for their future has only just begun. The moon will soon collide with the surface of Nolaro, and three orphaned teens have nothing left in the world but each other. As the apocalypse threatens to end all life on their world, Crow is desperate to protect his little brother and secure a future for themselves while Jima falls captive to her dark past. A sardonic traveling magician offers them a way off their dying world, but at what cost? Their search for an escape will force them to face questions of flesh versus spirit, natural life versus eternal life, and physical death versus spiritual death. Family, faith, and courage are at the heart of this end-of-the-world adventure. The Withering is now available for pre-order and launches July 26. It is endorsed by Shana Dow, author of the Keepers of the Balance series, who says, quote, The Withering is a compelling story set against a stark dystopian landscape. Patton has put together a gripping scenario that combines suspense, intrigue, and a truly likable cast of characters to cheer on. End quote. Get all that info at the top of our show notes for episode 121 or check our lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors page. All right, chapter three, humans colonize space, but retreat to earth just in time. And uh, another version of this is that the space colonies fail or they just decide to abandon ship and return to the home planet. So yeah, th this is sort of a mixture of the first two. It, it's a little optimistic in that, yeah, there's going to be some space colonies, but then sort of pessimistic, like, well, they just don't really work out in the end. And this is not the supernatural conclusion of, chap of chapter two's option, which is that Jesus just snatches them back, but that uh, they return on their own or they just decide to just give up on it. Uh, th there's a couple of films that sort of come to mind for this one, Stephen, that you mentioned Gravity this horrible disaster scene that there's all this space debris and now we can't really uh, go into space anymore because there's all this junk in the way. I believe at the end of total recall, the okay, spoiler alert, but this is, you know, 30 years ago now, uh, Schwarzenegger like goes through the wall or the, the or breaches the, um, the dome. And then I, I think that colony kind of dies or something. I don't exactly remember, but it doesn't seem very like a good ending for the Mars colony. 
Um, Mission to Mars with uh, Tim Robbins and uh, some others that came out in the early 2000s. Maybe, like Gary maybe the Sinise. Year Gary Sinise, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they, they get to Mars and then some things happen and then they, they all leave. Uh, and let's see also, um, red, well, there's, Mars there's, there's, there's the Martian. There's the Martian, yeah. of course. Yeah. Martian, yeah. yeah. And, yep. Anyway, here's the Martian. Yeah. Which, I mean, it, it's an optimistic story of humans survival and the, you know, the power of the human spirit and all that sort of thing. Uh, but there's no colony on Mars. You know, right. Mars is going to kill you and you've got to pull all your science together, uh, to survive. Yep. Uh, another one I liked, it's, it's kind of a, a little bit of an unknown movie. It's the Europa Report. So people go to um, the, the moon of Jupiter, Europa, hijinks ensue, and then they send back this report. And basically, yeah, it doesn't work out <laughs> for people to go there. And yeah, I, I think besides disaster, there could be just the basic economic reasons. I mean, uh, the, the moon and Mars don't really have any resources. Uh, maybe you could make fuel from from the materials you find there, but you can't make much else. And so any kind of space colony is going to be an economic dead end. I mean, unless you make a colony around, uh, what, what, there's some giant asteroid Psyche 99 or something that's, uh, 99 Psyche that's like full of gold and titanium. There's apparently more gold there than there exists on Earth by an order of magnitude. But I, I think the economics are such that you're just going to be sinking money into anything in space. So I think it's very possible that these colonies could start up and then just go bankrupt. And then people just say, forget it. This isn't going to work. Yeah. I think my thinking on this has been solidified uh, by reading several books about uh, the challenges facing, for example, manned mission to Mars. Uh, such that, for example, uh, a couple of other authors have actually came out with a book a few years ago called Beyond Earth, Our Path to a New Home in the Planets. And it's a combination of, you know, scientific speculation and just plain sci-fi, like they kind of alternate back and forth. It's two authors, uh, Charles Wolforth and Amanda R. Hendricks. They're basically saying, like you said, Zach, yeah, you know, some places in space that everyone talks about are economic dead ends. They're not going to support humanity. They're too rough. There's really no profit in it. Oh, but let's go to Titan the moon of Saturn, you know, now Titan is interesting. You know, the readings from the probes around Titan, you know, actually show that you could do more with this. You know, there's, mm -hmm. there's, there's some liquid going on there. It's been a while since I've read the book, so I can't recall all of Titan's stats. But one thing that I noticed was fascinating from a cultural perspective in the book was simply that they had to do a lot of heavy lifting in the science fiction. And a lot of the heavy lifting in the science fiction is to try to explain, okay, how, not just how could we get to Titan, what technologies could we, could we use, but why? And that why goes back to the cultural factors I mentioned earlier. You have right. to have some kind of desperate reasons or religious motivation or both in order to get there. Uh, and folks who are speculating about this from a more secular vantage almost always rely on climate change. Uh, the climate change is going to make Earth uninhabitable. Uh, you have to nerf the Earth in order to make Titan or Mars or another place uh, look somehow better by comparison. And as it is, you know, Earth, for all its flaws, is just not that bad. Uh, you have to speculate on some doomsday scenario or overcrowding or the water gets poisoned or we have a world war and the atmosphere is full of radiation uh, in order to make space look more desirable or Titan or wherever it is. Um, I think, though, even if you went in that direction, you're gonna it, it's more easy to clean up earth politically or even if climate change turns out to be real like that is still as i said the devil planet you know uh oxygen is still free it doesn't have to be processed uh there's still an abundance of natural resources which for all the warnings that we get are not going away anytime soon uh earth is still no matter how bad it gets maybe even during the tribulation if there is a literal one it's more hospitable than trying to go to mars or titan or anywhere like that so that what's that's what actually leads me i will go ahead and say that uh, for all of the interesting uh, notions in in theory 2 that we have i think my personal choice would still have to remain theory 3 is that yes whatever colonies or space stations or efforts that we make uh will probably be confined within our solar system before christ returns and if there are any of those left over when he returns, uh, and then he has to send his angels to gather his elect or whomever else from the uh, the ends of the earth, and the ends of heaven, uh, I think that uh, will self-select in this case. The, the colonies will shut down. Either they won't work. 
people will come back to Earth. Uh, the space expansion of humanity will become a space contraction. And I still remember to this day, back when I was a teenager, trying to think a little bit more sci-fi in terms of end time speculations. I thought, well, you know, if there is a literal antichrist, you know, and there's some space colonies out there, I'm guessing he wouldn't like having people outside of his uh, iron rule. He'd probably want people to come back to Earth in order to put his mark on their foreheads or their right hands. Otherwise, you could just run off and hide uh, in Olympus Mons somewhere on Mars and uh, get away with not participating in the beast's uh, economic religious system. So that may be a source of the great contracting if there is any space expansion, uh, or there may be some other reason that would pull humans back from this uh, overly ambitious project uh, that, as I'll mention in a moment, I think will really get off the ground after Christ's return. Yeah, now we've talked a lot about Elon Musk. There's a great article I found from 2016 that says, Elon Musk isn't religious enough to colonize Mars. Boom. And he goes on to say, Silicon Valley wants to explore space as tech entrepreneurs. We should be traveling as pilgrims. This is a great author, by the way, James Polos. Um, and he's he said some really interesting things about kind of the post-human, transhuman, or transhumanist world that Musk and others may be leading us into. Uh, I'll link to the article, but this brings up a great point that Musk sees Mars as sort of some backup hard drive for humanity. And uh, he, he also kind of believes in the simulation theory. You know, a lot of the people pushing for Mars or space exploration, they have this whole idea of kind of uploading our consciousness and yeah, there's a lot of really transhumanist weird, stuff. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of weird things that I don't think are really going to catch on with a lot of people. I, I think it's going to be religious people that go for new frontiers or desperate people. Yeah. And this was even reflected in the expanse that there is this giant generation ship being constructed by the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You know, it's going to be the Mormons that go to another star system first, uh, according to the authors, because they've got that drive. You know, they don't have to worry about the economics. They've got their own, you know, source of revenue, and they've got the cultural thing solved. That the Mormon Church very much believes in civilizations uh, of humans in other parts of the galaxy, um, and that we have this obligation to go out there and, and win souls. So that was very interesting. That 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 story that 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 show incorporated that. And I think that is the right instinct. I think religious communities have that transcendent purpose that doesn't uh, require you to augment your body or upload your mind or subscribe to other kind of weird post-human things. But if you try to push religious people out of the picture, I think a space colony would just fall apart. Well, that's a slightly pessimistic notion, but again, I think it reflects reality. Uh, and I mentioned earlier that there seems to be this uh, implicit warning in all of the various conditions that the uh, the world designer, our creator, has put into his planet. Like, this far shall you go and no further. Like, if you if you even put a colony on Mars for a length of time, it's not going to last very long. It's going to run out of resources or run out of interest or something like that, and then everybody's going to pack up and go home, which is the best possible scenario. Of course, the worst possible one is you get... <laughs> colony dying in some way uh and in that case there's going to be some bad pr and nobody's going to try that again those weird people uh, that wanted to go to mars and try their libertarian social experiment or something uh that doesn't work uh, best to stay on earth where as bad as things get uh, you still get generally free oxygen and water and if you don't like the laws in one nation you can move to another nation without having to move completely off world uh Theologically, I think this solves a few problems. Uh, you have uh, the hubris of humanity being implicitly rebuked, and then everybody comes home before Christ returns and whatever end-time scenario awaits the human race. Uh, this is still, I think, my leading theory, and, and it lets some, I mean, it limits the sci-fi a little bit. You know, assuming no alien intervention or miraculous-seeming technology or things like that, um, I think that this is the most likely scenario. So lest this theory seem like a complete killjoy, I want to end on a happy note that I think can be solidly supported by scripture, uh, not just our previous Fantastical Truth episodes about the coming new heavens and new earth and all of our biblical beliefs about the physical renewal of uh, heaven and earth. Uh, this is where we go back to my article, actually, the one that I wrote in um, 2017. And I think I'll just e-cycle the ending of this article and we'll close out with a little discussion about this. Okay, so let's suppose then just to review 
that humans never colonize space before Jesus returns. That's one option. Or humans colonize space, and yet somehow every eye still sees the return of Jesus, and then somehow everybody makes it back to Earth for the judgment. We're still in the idea that humans will colonize space, but the colonies don't work, and we retreat to Earth just in time for Jesus to return. Okay, so even if the worst or most annoying of these theories is true, you still get a happy ending. And here's what I said in my article, quote, I checked, even if my little argument is true, that Jesus can't return if some people aren't on Earth for the event, I read nothing against space travel after Jesus returns. Jesus' adopted daughters and sons are destined to rule under him on new heavens and new earth. This is a physical paradise for physical, super embodied, but embodied people to live. New earth is this planet, fire purged of all sin, not replaced with some other existence mode, but renewed almost like our resurrected bodies will be renewed. And new heavens will surely be this self-same universe, melted down and made like new. Why then wouldn't we explore new heavens for the glory of their creator and savior? Why wouldn't we use science and technology, good tools humans managed to create per God's command in Genesis 128, to build better and faster ships and depart this earth, only temporarily, on journeys of wonder and discovery? Why not settle on the moon, on Mars, maybe even on other planets we could not survive on before? And even assuming we get no cheat codes from the creator of physical laws themselves, why couldn't we also develop something like warp drive to reach those seven planets? The seven planets, by the way, are referenced in the original article. They'd just been discovered by a telescope or something. Even without such technology, we would have eternity to wait for slow ships to reach them. Either way, I'm sure the best space missions await in eternity. But I'd love to see more now, if for no other reason than to ensure we don't forget the awesomeness of God's creation. End quote. Uh, despite now being a little more open to the idea of colonies still being out there, uh, making it to Earth somehow, if the angels gather everyone from the ends of heaven, uh, I think I still agree with what I said there, Zach. Yeah, and I'll just quote again from uh, Randy Ingermans' article, just as for my closing thought, which is where he said, quote, we have no more idea what value Mars will be to us than Columbus had of the value of the new world when he stumbled across it in 1492. The only way to know is to go. End quote. And that's exactly how I feel that, you know, why not give it a try? Like, what have we got to lose? And what we have to gain is seeing more of God's creation. And I think that's a wonderful thing. And maybe that's what it'll take to lead Elon Musk to believe in a creator of the cosmos. And uh, apart from a simulation theory kind of uh, uh, cosmology, but, uh, you know, the stars always lead people to worship of something. And so hopefully that will lead more people to worship of the creator of the stars. So I, I think we should try to go. We'll see what happens. And I think Jesus has it figured out for when he comes back. can't improve on that closing thought but maybe you can and if so email us podcast at lorehaven.com share your theories do you think we'll have space colonies for for an hour long before christ returns you can also tag us on social media just look for lorehaven on all of those social medias or leave a comment on our box at the uh, podcast notes page at lorehaven.com slash podcast uh let's skip the comm station for now i didn't see any uh newly arrived messages over there but we do have some new content at lorehaven if i've timed this right you'll be able to see last week's article from josiah de about how christians can support new and great christian-made fantastical stories uh, without becoming a reflexive supporter you gotta support it because we need to send a message to somebody i've glimpsed a look at this article in its draft stage and i'm looking forward to publishing the final version uh, this upcoming Friday should be July 22nd, and you can watch for our new advanced review of another novel from Enclave Publishing. It's by Morgan L. Bussey, and it's called Blood Secrets. It's a steampunk novel, the uh, book two of her series there uh, that started not long ago. And of course, subscribe free to Lorehaven. You get exclusive access to the Lorehaven Guild, where we explore new Christian-made fantasy and sci-fi every month on our book quests. And you can also get updates for any of those new articles or news posts or reviews or podcast episodes, whatever you choose as part of your mission. Next on Fantastical Truth, Zach and I are both on the road, although we are heading in different directions this summer. Unfortunately, we're not both going to Realm Makers this time, but hey, maybe next year. 
Meanwhile, speaking of heading opposite directions, I've noticed that many fans are separating fast from franchises once thought too big to fail. As we are recording, a lot of people are praising and complaining about a new Marvel movie, but it's not just Marvel that people are getting annoyed about. We're, of course, also annoyed with Star Wars and DC and the Amazon version of The Lord of the Rings and Doctor Boo. Who. There, <laughs> we have a partisan in the uh, Barry podcast studio here. They are all coming in for much criticism. And no, I'm not above making those critical remarks myself. And some have called this toxic fandom. Others say this is just fans keeping the creators and these big corporations accountable for making bad stories or violating the canon that they've grown up with and love so much. The question we will explore in our next episode is, as biblical Christians, how do we respond to these controversies over toxic fandom with discernment? Meanwhile, maybe you're looking forward to a space colony in the near future or the far future. Or maybe you're a little bit more pessimistic. Maybe you have some quibbles with our view of end times theology. Maybe you're a preterist. Who knows? Either way, if you are a Christian, you can't help but look forward to the return of Christ. And we can take confidence that however you read the prophecies, he's going to sort out anybody who is not on earth. Every eye will see him. We will be judged by him. And if you are in Christ, you can look forward to a fantastic eternity that probably includes space exploration for real this time, no more limits. That's what we look forward to as we continue to seek and find his fantastical truth. 